Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. We're, we're there. We, get, we're, we got our sister church in South America, Pastor Antonio in Lima. We have Pastor Tomas and Pastor Job in Africa, in Burkina Faso, and now we have France. I'm so pumped about that. Next up, praying about this, we got some possibilities out there. Asia is our next continent we're going after to find a like-minded church, a church that's just not interested in reaching its own little Jerusalem, but its country and the world for Christ. That's like-minded. Okay, let's talk about the, our, uh, his last command, our first concern. A person's last words are usually remembered. When Groucho Marx died, his last words were really this, this is no way to live. Vince Lombardi's last words to his wife Marie was, uh, happy anniversary, I love you. At 84, Benjamin Franklin was changing position in his bed so he could breathe easier, and he told his daughter, a dying man can do nothing easy. Then he passed away. We do have Jesus' last words. His last words uh, on planet Earth here are recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Let me read it for you. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Those were Jesus' last words. But that, that was not a command. That was not an assignment. Those words are what? They are a statement of fact. The model verb that's used there is the, is the word will, not you might, not maybe, not you should. Jesus said, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Whenever you see those words, will or shall, it's a done deal. God is going to make it happen. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Those were Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. But what was Jesus' last command? What was his final assignment for you and I? That is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Let me read that. Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives this command, what we call the Great Commission. When you hear the Great Commission, that's what it's talking about. This is his last command, and he gives it to his disciples, he said. Most scholars believe he gave this command while he was in Galilee, 
And as it says in 1 Corinthians, when Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to as many as 500 of his disciples. So there could be a large crowd here that he's saying this to, much larger than just the 12 apostles or the 11 apostles that are left. It could be as many as 500 disciples. And what does Jesus tell them to do in this last command? It's very much connected to that Acts 1-8 passage we just looked at, but his last command needs to be our first concern. This is our assignment, our marching orders. And the first thing he says, he says, I want you to go, but go with my power. He begins the command by, first of all, stating that, that he has absolute authority, absolute power in heaven and on earth. Verse 18, he came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Who gives him this authority? Answer, his father, the father in heaven. John chapter 3, verse 35 says, the father loves the son and has put everything into his hands. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, what I'm about to tell you to do, your last assignment, this is my last command, and it should be your first assignment to get done. What I'm about to tell you to do, I have been given all power, all authority in heaven and on earth, and that means when you go in my name, you go with my power. The Greek word that's used there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. You understand what God is saying? You go, when you're out there trying to make disciples, you got dynamite with you. I remember a good friend of mine who's a pastor who was saying he was in the Middle East with one of the heroes of the Middle East for Christianity, Sammy Dagger. He's an Alliance pastor, well-known, famous pastor. He's 80 years old now. And he was driving in Lebanon. This is some years ago. He was in Lebanon with Sammy, and he went to a checkpoint, and the soldier had a machine gun through the window, and he said, you got any uh, explosives in here? And you know what Sammy tells him? The car is full of them. And my pastor friend is saying, you got to be kidding me. We're going to die. And he reaches in. He's nervous as he's doing this because they're pointing the gun even more. He reaches in. He grabs a New Testament from a box. And he says, here's the dynamite, but it's not the kind that will hurt you. You and I, we have been given all power from Christ in the heavens above, on the earth below. And what does he tell us? Go, go, get moving. In fact, the word that's used there is a participle. As you're going, he assumes, God assumes that you and I are going to go. John 20, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you now. Go, go, go in God's power. Number two, as you're going, make disciples. Make disciples. In other words, make followers. Now, listen, this is how we do this at Appleton Alliance Church. There are some people that feel very comfortable going outside this church talking to people who need God, and they explain the gospel in a very clear form, and then they lead them to a prayer to surrender their lives to Jesus, and then they get them Bibles, and they get them all set up, and they disciple them, and there are some of us who can do that. Yay. But there are many of us who don't feel comfortable doing that or feel not equipped to do that. 
So what, what I've always said is, let's work together. Let's have a partnership here because as disciples of Jesus, you and I both have to obey this command. We've got to go make disciples. So I say, here, here's the deal. Let's partner. We're invitation dependent here. You invite, when you bring people here, whether it's Discovery Land, Women's Ministries, Men's Ministries, Excel Sports, uh, the service here, when you invite, we'll deliver the goods. They'll get the gospel. So let's work together. It's a partnership, but we're all, both of us, all of us have to go out. And as we're going, make disciples. We've got to find lost people. Question, where do you find them? They're everywhere. And how do you do it? You invite. Hey, you, you, you got you to hear, you got to meet this Jesus. I'm telling you, God will work in your life if you come. Look at John chapter 1. Watch what's going on here. This is in the Gospels. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples, John the Baptist, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said, and he followed Jesus. Andrew then went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. This is all over the New Testament. You got to come. You got to see this. You got to invite people to meet the Jesus that you've met. Where do I find these people, Pastor? They're everywhere. You don't have to go out and build new relationships. You already got them. Where are the lost people? They're in your family, they're your friends. They're at work, they're at school, they're in your community. They're all over the place. Lost people are everywhere that need God. And Jesus said, I want them found. And I want you, follower, to go find them, introduce them to me so that they can be disciple too. How do you make a disciple, pastor? Well, he gets even more specific. First of all, he says, you got to go and baptize them. Now, pause button. Let me tell you something. Most of us have been infected with this, with a very bad doctrine. I grew up with it. It's terrible. And it's called baptismal regeneration is the theological term. Let me explain this for you, to you. This is the belief that as parents... We can take our children as infants, bring them to church, they get baptized through a ritual, and what happens is, this is what is the doctrine. God now saves that child, that child becomes a Christian, they become part of the church, that's when they're born again. There's a theological term for that, and it's called baloney salami. It's not true. I would love, wouldn't we love to do that? Control everything. We're going to save all our kids. We can't do that. That has to be between that child when they get to an age where they can understand that they're a sinner and they need a savior. That's between them and God. You cannot save your children. And it's a really bad doctrine because then people go, I'm already Christian. I'm already in the church. I'm already born again. No, you're not, and you knew it. I, I believe that. When, when, I, I, when my brother first came to me and said, you need to be born again, I'm already born again. When? At baptism. But inside my heart, I knew, yeah, nothing happened. 
No, in the Old Testament, listen, you read the New Testament, you will find zero, nada, no infants being baptized. Why? In the New Testament, when people were baptized, according to what Jesus is referring to here, it was after they made a commitment to follow him. It was a public demonstration that I'm aligning with Jesus now. I have surrendered my life to him. That's why it was done in the Jordan River. That's why it was done in a public place. And it was symbolic of what has happened to you. Under the water, that old person before I met Jesus, dead and gone. Up out of the water, I'm a clean person now, saved. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've totally committed my life to him. That's called believer baptism. We have them here all the time. You're going to see one in June. If you have, listen, if you have come to Christ through this church and you have not been had ex believer baptism, you're not fulfilling what Jesus says here. He says, I want you to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's not talking about infant baptism. I mean, a lot of people go, well, I was infant baptized. That's good enough. I was too. <clears throat> not good enough. That's a different thing. Now, if you're comfortable with that, fine. But I wasn't comfortable with it. I knew no matter how, now, I, I'll be honest with you, I saw a believer baptism in a church I went to three months after I gave my life to Christ. It freaked me out. And I said, no way. I'm not doing that. But you know what? The more I read the New Testament, the more I read what happened and how people were baptized, it was clear to me it's after you make a commitment, and I hadn't done that yet. So finally, I went to a class nine months after I gave my life to Christ. And I said, I'm in. I'm going to be baptized. And I'll tell my story. And I had to tell my story. I was so nervous. I had to tell my story. It's not like we do it here. We make it easy for you. We videotape you. But, but I had to get in front live in front of a thousand people. I was so scared. I was only 25 years old. And you know, through the miracle of technology, this November, that'll be 40 years. I have that recording. You want to hear my testimony? At 25? Yeah, roll the tape. Well, my testimony starts uh, about eight months ago in March. Uh, my brother had been led to the Lord, and he had told me that I had to read the Bible. And uh, I went 24 years worshiping God, thought that I had done all that I had to do, uh, but I had never seen the truth. So I went out and I bought a Bible. And I read it in the bathroom and uh, at work and on the train where no one that I knew could see me. And uh, I, read, I read the truth. And, and the one verse that really uh, stuck, that really penetrated my heart was that you can't, you can't be lukewarm. The Lord said, if you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be hot or cold. And I knew I was lukewarm.
So I, um, I felt pressure, you know, because I always, I always loved God and I always wanted to serve him. But um, you've got to give 100% to the Lord. He doesn't take 95 or 96. So I, uh, my, my brother kept witnessing to me and steering me to, the, uh, to make a decision. And I totally rejected him. As a matter of fact, I really gave him a hard time. I almost threw him out of the house one night for preaching to me. And, um, and, but I constantly was talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I want to please you, but uh, I don't know. I get up in the morning, and I, do, I try and do it, but things just aren't working. I, I read the things here, and I know I have to do them, but it's just not working. So um, one night, I was at work, and I was working late, and um, I was just totally exhausted. I'd been running. And uh, I ran in high school and in college, but I had never felt the fatigue that I had, both mentally and physically. And uh, I was just tired of running. So I went, um, I went home. And I went into my room, and I gave my life to the Lord. <sighs> Praise God, what a feeling. <sighs> and we're saved, brothers and sisters, we're saved. Amen. Ah, praise God, what a feeling. I felt like a safe had been, had been lifted off my back. And I figure this, I figure I've been 24 years without knowing the Lord. And all I can tell you, brothers and sisters, is that I got a lot of catching up to do. And I just want to be obedient to his will. And I want to be there working with you. And, and one day we'll all be worshiping the Lord. No more tears. Just total worship of Jesus. And I praise him for it. And I thank him for my brother. And I thank him for... I thank him for saving me. Go with power. Go make disciples. Go baptize them. Fourth, go teach them. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Our marching orders, folks, is not just to evangelize people, but to teach them. We got to teach them. We got to give them instruction to do what? To do everything that God commanded us to do. The church mission is not just to convert, but to teach. That's why, by the way, you know, a lot of churches, they just got one preacher. 
We decided a long time ago, if, if this is a major part of God's command to us, we got to invest. So we go with a three-man teaching team. That's strategic. So you have Pastor Mark, you got myself, you got Pastor Brian. We want to put a lot of resources into this teaching ministry. We do it in all our major ministries, heavy emphasis on teaching and instruction. So you may, you may be a disciple, and maybe you don't have the gift to teach, but every disciple needs to be committed to learn from teachers who are gifted, who are called to do that. And how do we teach? Well, we decided a long time ago here at Appleton Alliance Church we were going to teach with grace. What do I mean by that? We're going to teach with the gospel at the core. So when we teach you about God, it's about what God does in your life, not what you do. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. We don't make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. He makes you into the disciple. As you surrender to him, as you rest in his grace, he does the work. We teach with grace. I had a, a third grade teacher who loved art. And it seemed like there was an art exercise to all of her teaching plans. And I remember one day she drew a picture and I forget what the picture was. It was a house or an animal or something. She drew a picture, and then she showed us how to color it with watercolors. And it was beautiful. I mean, there was a part of it she colored in yellow and another part in red, another part in blue, and it was beautiful. And then she gave us a copy of the picture, and she gave us watercolors. But she gave us very clear instructions that were, that were strict, she said, now, students, remember, I'm only going to give you one piece of paper to paint on, just one, that's it. So I started. And you know, those desks are on a slant. And I got my water, and I wasn't very careful, and I started to do, and then the water color started to run down the page, and I thought it'd be a good idea to take out my Kleenex, and I started trying to wipe it, and then before you long, it was a big mess. And I'm watching my other classmates, and they're very carefully staying within the lines. And mine's a big mess. Now, I'm sure my teacher meant well. But the message that I was getting was, when it comes to third grade art, there is no grace. There's only one chance, one piece of paper to draw your life on. Now, a lot of people think today that's the way God operates. He gives me one piece of paper. And if I mess it up, that's all there is. Nothing could be further from the truth. The gospel changes that. That's why we teach with grace. Prophet Jeremiah was speaking once to a group of people had messed it up. They messed it up. They'd forsaken God. They messed up their lives so much. They, God's got them on an exile. They're going to another country. But God speaks through his prophet. And he says to them, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin <laughs> afresh. Every morning, no matter how bad a day you have, the next morning, God has new mercies for you. 
That's why this church is going to teach you with grace. Now, finally, Jesus' last command promises, I'll go with you. He says, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. Verse 20, and be sure of this. I'm with you always. And then he says, even to the end of the age. What's that talking about, Pastor? Well, that's talking about the church age. We're, we're in what's called the church age right now. People are coming to Christ. But there's going to come a time when the church age ends, and that begins a seven-year period, which is horrible. It's called the tribulation period. And in June, I'm going to, I preach every two years on the book of Revelation, on things to come. You may want to come out for that. That's during the week. Go to the website. The instructions are there on when that is. But I will be teaching on the book of Revelation. And when the church age ends, that's when that seven-year period begins that Jesus said, if, if I don't cut it short, nobody lives. And then Jesus comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, folks. When Jesus returns the second time, it won't be like the first time. When he comes the second time, he comes to judge the world. He judges the world of its evil and sin and rebellion. It's not the Jesus of the chosen television series we're seeing right now. I mean, that's a great Jesus, and that is a great series. But when Jesus comes back the second time, he is to be feared if you do not know him. Revelation 1, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. That's talking about judgment. Someone wrote Ann Landers once and asked the famous newspaper columnist, what's the number one problem that people write you about? She didn't even hesitate. She said, fear. Fear. She said, people are afraid. And then she began to list in the column some of the phobias, some of the fears that people have written to her about. And she alphabetized them. Animals, bees, being buried alive, being alone, being stared at, blood, crowds, corpses, death, dogs, elevators, flying, heights, Illnesses, insects, lightning, mice, pain, poverty, robbers, snakes, spiders, strangers, surgery, vomiting, and worms. She said, someone even wrote me once about the fear of falling into the toilet. You want to know what Jesus said about fear? Look what he says in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. I'll show you whom, to, whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who's that? God. Spiders, dogs, crowds, bees, lightning, robbers, pain, strangers, those are minimal fears those are the normal issues of life if you're going to have a phobia a true fear let it be the fear of god do not 
want to mess with the living God. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's patient. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is full of grace. But if you're going to fear, fear God. Hebrews 10, verse 31 says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Folks, I'm telling you, we are so infected with bad theology today that when I say words like that, they're saying, there's people going, Pastor, don't, don't portray God in that way. In fact, I think there's a problem with some pre- preachers today. I'm wondering whether there is a conspiracy among some preachers to make sure people don't have a fear of God. In that they're always portraying only one side of God. You know, they portray this God as a benevolent grandfather who's the all-time good guy. Jesus knew his father better than any of us, and he tells us fear him. Because after you die, he said, my father has the authority to cast you into hell. Don't worry about your body. Be concerned for your soul and your standing before him. When I teach on the book of Revelation, course we always get to the the judgments and there are three types of judgments that are referred to in the seven-year period of tribulation the seal judgments the trumpet judgments the bowl judgments they get progressively worse but in the seal judgments it says that people on earth will be so afraid that there will be a universal worldwide panic attack they will actually at one point call on the rocks and the mountains to crush them Global suicide. Revelation 6, here it is. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, everybody, all hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of wrath has come as who is able to survive. There is coming a day when the entire world will have a disabling, debilitating phobia, a fear that is so overpowering that they will literally be scared to death. Jesus spoke of this day himself in Luke chapter 21. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken And everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. That is what is coming. But until then, until then, until then, you and I are to be about his last command. It should be our first concern. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Let's stand for closing prayer. I realize, God, even as I say these words, even as as it is so clear in the scriptures who you are, what you're about to do, there will be still some who will reject it and say, no, I don't believe it. That's not the God I want to believe in. I pray, God, that as a church, not just now, but for generations to come, we will be true to your word. We will do what you have asked us to do in your last command to go. First starting in our Jerusalem here in the Fox Cities, then the state, our nation, and the world. Preaching the good news that you have offered a lifeboat We don't have to experience your wrath. You have offered a way out. In fact, you even took our penalty, our judgment on your own self when you died on that cross. I pray, God, we will will speak this message with clarity. We'll trust you to provide many people here, lost people, who you will find and save. And then, Lord, Help us to make disciples, to make true followers of you. I pray for the person who came here today and somehow you have singled them out. They, they know. They know they're not there. They know they are not where they should be with you and you have talked to them. You have talked to their hearts and their minds and you've told them, I want you. You belong to me. Oh God, I pray. This day will not end before they get on their knees and surrender their entire life to you. Thank you, God, for doing that for me 40 years ago. My life has never been the same. All I want to do is follow you and obey you and trust you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the story you're writing in every person's life in this room. May you have your way with us. Now him who testifies to all of these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people and God's people said.